Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. So in Revelation chapter 2, I was preaching this a while back, and, and I didn't get to finish it, and the Lord kind of had to stop, and we've been going over the soul winning, the Christian mandate the last couple of weeks. We've been getting testimonies rolling in from that. Amen. How many of you guys have seen the Lord begin to use you in that way, to, to preach the gospel, to witness to people? I know several of you have. But I want to get back to this. In Revelation chapter 2, uh, through three. These are seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven different churches. And I entitled this, if you want to take notes, this is called Jesus's warning to the church. So tonight I want to preach to Christians, right? I'm not preaching to people that are necessarily lost and unsaved. I'm preaching to Christians. I need Christians to be ready. And so in Revelation 2 through 3, Jesus is writing seven letters to seven different churches. I, I started this, like I said, a few weeks ago, and I entitled it, What Jesus Commends and What He Condemns. And so the reason that the Lord keeps bringing me back to this, and also let me say this as well, these, these seven letters, there's, three, there's a threefold application of them. Number one, there's a literal application. That means that these seven churches, these were seven literal cities, seven literal churches in the ancient Roman and Greek empire, uh, in the ancient Middle East. So say literal. So this is where a lot of people get it wrong is because they'll read these and I hear Bible, you know, little Bible college students that they don't want to receive nothing from it. They just ignore all of the things that we're going to talk about because their answer is, well, you know, that wasn't written for us, right? Are you the church of Ephesus? Nope. So that doesn't mean it's for you. Well, you know, let's not be stupid here. There's threefold application of this. There was literal. There's a personal application. Say personal. Because if you take that logic, then you have to apply it to the entire Bible, right? You have to apply everything that Jesus said. Well, you could make the argument, well, Jesus came for the Jews. So if you're not a Jew, then none of what he said applies to you. Right, that's the same stupid way of thinking. Well, are you, you know, what about the, the, the letter Paul wrote in the book of Romans? Are you a part of the church of Rome that, you know, 2,000 years ago? No, you're not. Well, I guess none of it applies to me. No, that's dumb. The scripture's been given, to God, given by God to us for correcting, for building up, for rebuking. Are you with me? It's profitable teach the whole counsel of God's word. So there's a personal application. And so here's my point. The Bible says this in Hebrews 13.8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the things that Jesus rebuked to these seven churches, these seven ancient churches, well, he's the same. So that means that if he rebuked it then, he's still rebuking it now. That means that if it was a standard that he held then, it's still a standard that he holds now. Let me say this. That means that if he expected it of them then, he expects the same of us now because he never changes. He is the same today as he was then. 
Hallelujah. So there's a literal application, a personal application, and number three, there's a prophetic application. Say prophetic application. What does prophetic application mean? Uh, basically, these seven different churches can actually be broken down into seven different periods throughout church history. So the last church, it's the church of Laodicea. That basically means that will be the last condition, if you will, of the church before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to get to that tonight, uh, but I'm going to get to it in the next few weeks. But that church is the church, the lukewarm church. That's the church that he said, you're neither hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you, vomit you out of my mouth. That's the church that he rebuked for being lukewarm and indifferent. And guys, I'm telling you that that is the church of this day. That's the church of the United States of America. Lukewarm, indifferent. Are you with me? We'll get to that. I don't want to start preaching on that yet. We'll get to it. So I've, I've gone over some of this. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to preach all of this back to you. But I want you to start noticing this. In Revelation 2, this is the first letter to the church in Ephesus. Jesus said to John, write this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. He says this. I know all the things that you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. We're going to read one through seven here. And we'll come back up. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but they're not. You have discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. If you guys will, silence your cell phone. Number four, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Verse five, look how far you've fallen. fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to, what the, with the, listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give the fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Go back up to verse 2. So again expectations. What did Jesus expect? What was standards that he held? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want to ask you these questions because I asked myself these questions. When the Lord showed this to me, I began to break this down and ask myself if Jesus could say the same thing to me and if Jesus could say the same thing to my church. Could Jesus look at me? Could he look at you? I want you to think about this. And could he say this? I know all the things that you do. I have seen your hard work. I want to stop with that. I'm going to ask you, let's see, one, two, three, four questions out of this text here. First question is this. And I ask myself this. Here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Do I work hard in preaching and advancing the gospel? Do I work hard in preaching and advancing the gospel? Do I work hard in preaching and advancing the gospel? 
I want you to say work. The word work, it means it takes time. It takes energy. It takes being intentional. It's not a feeling. And I know I need to speak that to to my generation specifically. Because some of the older people, they seem to know this. You know, a man used to know a responsibility. We have a responsibility to work. Amen. If you don't know that, the Bible says that if a man doesn't work, he doesn't get to eat. In fact, in the New Testament letters, Paul actually commanded them to work. And he said, stay away from those that live idle lives, those that refuse to work. Paul said, read this letter to the entire congregation and take note of those that refuse to obey it. Say work. You know, we have a responsibility to work. That means that when that alarm goes off at 6 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, whatever time you get up, you may not feel like doing it, right? But you do it because you have a responsibility. It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes a conscious decision to get up out of your bed and get your butt to work. Put one leg in the pant after the other and get to work. Are you with me? So he says, you have worked hard. And what he's talking about working hard, if you read the context of these letters, he's not talking about, oh, you're a carpenter, and, and, and I, you have this going for you. You've built a lot of cabinets. You're a plumber. You have this for you. You've laid a lot of plumbing lines. He's speaking to the church and the condition of their region, saying you've worked hard in laboring in the gospel. Y'all, come on, somebody. I've asked myself this question, and I think every Christian needs to ask themselves this question. Do I work hard in preaching the gospel in my county? God expects this of us. Hallelujah. I know a lot of people, again, we've lowered the Christian expectation. You say, well, I read my Bible. Good. You should. Well, I go to church. Good. You should. Well, you know, I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cuss. I don't drink. I don't do anything. Good. That's great. But that's not the work of the gospel. There's an expectation from God. Do you, could he look at you? Could he look at you? Could he look at you? And could he say, I've seen you. I've seen what you did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And you have worked hard in bringing the gospel to Angelina County. You have worked hard in bringing the gospel to Huntington, Texas. You've went to your job and you have worked hard in telling each and every person the gospel of Jesus Christ and giving them an opportunity to be saved and praying for them and not being ashamed of the gospel. You know, I'm telling you, most Christians cannot say that whatsoever. There's an expectation. And I don't know about you, but can I just be honest with you? It scares the hell out of me when I read some of these things. And I mean that literally. I don't mean it to be cute or edgy. I mean literally. It, it scares me. Like, I don't want to go to hell, right? I don't want... Because you got to think about this. He's giving them the list of things that they did right, and then he tells them what they did wrong. If they would have been doing this wrong, he would have said something like, I've seen what you do, and you have not worked hard in bringing the gospel to your assigned area. Therefore, repent now, or I'll remove your lampstand from its place among the other lampstands, the other churches. This just convicts me. 
Take it takes time. It takes effort. It takes being intentional. You have to understand that Christian mandate that we must preach the gospel. I've been going over it the last several weeks. I've got to rearrange my schedule. My schedule doesn't really, you know, and that, but that's a lie because you can preach the gospel everywhere that you go all the time. Say devoted. And I'll get to that. But I ask myself this question and it drives me to do more. Am I working hard, Lord, in preaching the gospel? Is my church working hard in preaching the gospel? When I ask that question, there's a conviction that comes of the Holy Ghost where I feel like we need to turn it up a notch. I was talking to an evangelist today and it was just crazy because I was pleading with the Lord. Lord, we're in that time that, that, that lethargy, we're in that time. You know, I don't know about you, but it's a problem. I saw a picture of this country artist that's sitting on a stage, and he's in a stadium full of people. Thousands and thousands of people, and this thought hit me. I said, you know, that's not a free event. All of those people paid to be there. You know, so think about that. They can pack out stadiums full of people. That, that not only were welcome for free, that paid hundreds of dollars to be inside of that stadium, but yet the church house, churches, are empty. You know, and I know even Evangelist Jonathan, he just did an amazing event where 3,000 people showed up. But guys, there's got to be a shift in America where we don't have to spend $5,000 in Facebook ads and, and just hand out 100 million flyers to get a few thousand people to come to something when stadiums are being packed out, 20,000, 30,000 people. You go to a soccer field in, in Europe and what are you going to see? A stadium full of people. There's a lethargy. The, the church has got to wake up. You know, and, and again, too, you have a lot of people, you have a lot of places that call themselves Christians that are doing nothing with the gospel, that they're happy just to get the same people in a room, the same little 10% of people that are already saved, get them here, preach a little message, take up the tithes and offerings and send them on their way, but we're not reaching our communities. You know, whenever I think about this, am I working hard? It does. It brings a holy conviction to me. It brings a holy conviction over our church to the point where now we're, we're believing. Lord, you know, the Lord's given us this blueprint. Go into the cities. Go into the apartments. Go in. We got the sound equipment. Starting in October, we already got outreaches planned. October, November, December. We're going to go place to place, hit neighborhoods, hit communities, hit apartments, uh, apartment complex, feed the hungry, preach the gospel, because I want the Lord to look at us and say the same thing. I see the things that you do, and you have worked hard. I've seen your hard work. So ask yourself that question right now. Do I work hard in preaching and advancing the gospel? I'm not asking, do you love the Lord? I'm not asking... Do you read your Bible? Do you work hard at preaching and advancing the gospel? Most Christians would say no. No, we don't. You know, there's a problem. There will be people that call themselves Christians that will live their whole life and never lead another person to Christ.
That's not a biblical Christian. Are you with me? That type of Christian, as we've went over the last few weeks, it didn't exist in the book of Acts. There was no Christian that just had their own little personal, you know, thing. That, that's not a biblical Christian. I don't understand that. You know, we don't even do altar calls in churches anymore. And I'm not talking like the same people because I've watched the altar calls where it's just like the same little people. Oh, we're going to open up the altar. And if you got a problem, come and receive prayer for it. And what do you got? Same old Sally Sue that's got the same problem that she's had the last three months. Come and pray for me. You know, I need to break through. Pray for me. I'm battling in this. Pray for me. I'm battling in that. And you see the same prayer. There's never any faith. There's never any instruction. There's never anything given to anybody that actually teaches them how to live in victory over those problems. How to get the breakthrough the biblical way. Are you with me? You know, in fact, this is crazy. The church I was under before we started this church, I went over to their church in Lufkin, their campus, and they did a session on altar ministry and they literally told us pray and never give instruction they said do not give instruction to people just pray for people that's so stupid are you with me if somebody comes and says john i need a financial breakthrough look there needs to be instruction because you can pray all you want but god's method for financial breakthrough is seed time and harvest are you with me so there actually should be a conversation. Oh, you, you, you're, you're struggling. You, you need a financial breakthrough. Can, we, can I ask some hard questions? What does the tithe look like in your life? What does sowing look like in your life? What does obedience look like in your life? Because if you're neglecting all of those areas, it doesn't matter how much I pray for you. This isn't some little magical thing where I say bippy-bobbity-boo and I slap you on the head and now God blesses you. There has to be instruction. But we don't want to give that instruction. We just want to play the religious game and appease people. And that's what like 90% of places are doing right now. Do I work hard in preaching and advancing the gospel? The next thing is this. He says, I know that you don't tolerate evil people. Ask yourself this question. Do I tolerate evil people? Do I tolerate evil people? You asking yourself this? Do I tolerate evil people? The next thing he says is this. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but they're not. You have discovered that they are liars. Ask yourself this question. Do I take a stand against false ministry, false teaching, and false teachers? I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is a hard one. This is a genuinely hard one because what I don't want you to do is hear what I'm saying and let it be your excuse to run around and just start running your mouth about everything. That's not what I want. This is genuinely a hard one, and the reality is nobody wants to rock the boat. You understand that? Like, I feel like the people that do want to rock the boat like, you've got to be very careful in judging your heart and asking, are you just quarreling for the sake of quarreling? Are you just trying to pick a fight for the sake of just picking a fight? You have to be careful in judging your heart. You know, no one wants to rock the boat. And then also, no one wants to judge. I understand that, that we all have this mindset, especially when it comes to false teaching to teachers, to ministers, to ministries, that it's like 
you know what? I'm just going to stay over here. I'm just going to be like this. I'll do my thing. And I don't, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to rock the boat. Are y'all with me? I don't want to judge anybody. There's also this kind of doctrine that goes around that says, touch not the Lord's anointed. Anybody ever heard that? They'll take from the principle of Saul and how David wouldn't speak against him. David could have killed him several times, but David chose not to kill Saul because he was the Lord's anointed. And so they're like, just touch not the Lord's anointed. If they're a minister, if they're a ministry, don't say anything about it. I, you know, I hear all of that stuff. And this is a hard one to swallow, but yet at the same time, Jesus said, you have examined the claims of those that say they are apostles, but they are not. You have discovered that they are liars. So yet there is, this is something to a degree that Jesus expects. Are you with me? Jesus expects us to take a stand against false ministry, false teaching, and false teachers. He doesn't expect us to run around and just run our mouth, but yet we can't also bury our heads in the sand. Are you with me? I know I'm preaching to the choir, but Christians don't understand this because anytime somebody does what Jesus said to do, don't tolerate evil people. Examine the ministry. Examine what's going around and what's being commonly accepted, and you must stand against it. Anytime somebody starts doing that, what do you have? Every religious devil coming out saying, how dare you say what? How dare you take that stand? How dare you speak up against those things? You know, you got people even in our ministry, have ran around and tried to destroy our ministry and the community. And we had people, we, we take a stand and they just want to ostracize us. How dare you say those things? What are you doing, Pastor John? Not tolerating evil people. Are you with me? It's something Jesus expects of us. That's hard. Are y'all with me? Amen. You know, I even thought about this back in January. I gave prophetic words out of this church in regards to other places, other things that are going on. And I'm telling you, I got such pushback. How dare you? What do you think that you're doing? Who do you think? And again, it's always like, just don't rock the boat. And I'm telling you, <laughs> is that what the Bible actually teaches? And I asked this question, how different? is the living God than the image that we've made up at times? How different is the true Jesus, how different is the true God than this false religious person that we've created in our own minds? How different is he? Amen. Okay, let's keep reading here. He says this, you have, verse 3, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Ask yourself this question, have I endured without quitting? Is anybody in here dead? So if you've given up, then you've not endured without quitting. If you've let yourself grow cold, then you've not endured without quitting. Amen. And I'll talk about endurance in a minute. Endurance through what? Y'all, when the Bible talks about endurance, when Jesus is writing to these churches, he wasn't talking like, you got a flat tire 
and you think that it gave you a right to lose yourself, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore because I had a hard week. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking to literally people that were not only being threatened with their lives, many of them in their communities, many of the Christians were being killed. We're being drug out, burnt alive on the stake. And the, the church is watching some of these leaders being burned alive. One of the elders of these churches, strapped to a stake, hands tied around their back, lit on fire and burned alive. And yet th they continued to believe, they continued to preach publicly without ceasing, without quitting. And, and then this is what he's talking about in regards to endurance. Well, I went home and my spouse was mad that, you know, I'm following the Lord, so I'm just going to quit. Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me right now? I gave the Lord my money and now, you know, I'm not financially where I'd like to be today because it cost me, it, it, so I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to stop believing. Have you endured without quitting? So ask yourself that question. Number one, have we endured without quitting? Have you personally? And then number two, I am convinced when I read these things that many Christians are not ready to meet Jesus. I really believe that. Why has Jesus not come back yet? I do believe because the church isn't ready. The Bible says that he's coming back for a pure church, a spotless church, a church without blemish. Are you with me? We're not there right now. We're in a very compromised state right now. We're in a very lethargic state right now. And there has to be voices crying out, getting people to wake up, getting the church in America to wake up. Are you with me? Preaching these things. That if we just judged ourselves by these standards, am I meeting God's expectation? Do I work hard in preaching the gospel? Do I tolerate evil people? Do I take a stand against false ministry teaching and teachers? Have I endured without quitting? They had done all of these things right. And so I asked you that question, have you endured without quitting? And then I want you to ask yourself this question. Out of all my friends and family that claim salvation, do they qualify there? Have they endured without quitting? Have they kept the faith? Have they ran the race? Ask, your, ask yourself that question. Not only you, have you worked hard in preaching the gospel in this community? What about your friends? What about your family? What about your children that claim to be saved? Can they answer yes to all of these things? Are they actually living a self-centered life where nothing surrendered to the Lord, but yet we want to just hold on to this false hope that everybody's making it to heaven, that everybody's going to be accepted by God when actually these things were given to warn us ahead of time so that we could be ready when we stand before him. Amen. Have we endured without quitting do you think people are ready i'm asking you do you think the church in america is ready right now to stand before jesus christ and give an account no some are most aren't i'm convinced of that let's keep reading he says i have this complaint against you y'all most again these are all things that they had done right how many christians christians today can say that they've done all of those things right and continue to do those things right not a lot of people. He says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back and do the works that you did at 
first. Say the works. So obviously, he, was, he said, I've seen your hard work. So they were working hard, but yet they had neglected the works that they did in the beginning. Isn't that crazy? So most Christians aren't even working hard. They don't even meet one of those standards. Do the works. Say the works. That you did it first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place amongst the other churches. I preached on this several weeks ago, so I don't need to hit it again. But if you believe once saved, always saved, you have a major problem with these letters that Jesus wrote. Because, he, again, he wasn't talking to heathens. He was talking, write these seven letters to the seven churches. He was talking to Christians. He wasn't talking to unbelievers that didn't know him. He was talking to people that were a part of these local bodies of Christ, people that claim faith in, in the name of Jesus Christ. Do the things you did in the beginning. If you don't, I will return, and I'll remove your lampstand from its place amongst the, the other churches. Verse 6, look at this. This one's a little uncomfortable. Look at verse 6 here. It says, but you have this in your favor. You hate, say hate. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. I want you to say hate. Again, when I read that word hate, that's different than what is taught to most Christians. When I, I'm going to be honest with you. When I read that word hate, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I don't want to hate anything. I genuinely don't. In fact, the Bible says that we can't hate people in our heart. If we do, then we're murderers and we'll be judged by God according to murders. If we have unforgiveness, then we can't be forgiven either by God. So it's like, Lord, what is this, how, what is this balance? You know, we have, there's, there's just no room, there's no place for hatred whatsoever. But, you know, when I looked at it in the New King James, I looked at it in the King James, I looked at it the Greek word. Is that word hate, right, does it really mean hate or is that just a mistranslation? No, it literally means hate. So get what he's saying here. He said, you hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. There's, no, there's two things. Number one, Jesus is saying apparently there was this people group called the Nicolaitans in which he hated their evil deeds. And number two, he expected the church in Ephesus to also hate their evil deeds. Again, I know this can be uncomfortable. I know that if you mention that word, hate, in a seeker-sensitive type circle, everybody's going to start squirming, but it's there. Are you with me? That means that we can't ignore it. We can't just gloss over it. We can't pretend that he didn't say it because he did say it. So I don't know about you, uh, but when I read that, that he hated the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, I, what's the first question that you ask? Who are the Nicolaitans, right? That's what I asked. Who are these Nicolaitans? And what were they doing that Jesus apparently hated and expected the Christians to hate? So the, the Nicolaitans were a group that mainly taught Gnosticism. Let me explain this. 
the Nicolaitans were a, a, a Christian group. They claimed to be like Christian. They broke off of mainstream Christianity. There was a, their, their leader was a man named Nicholas that began to teach kind of a, a branch off of Christianity. He took the traditional doctrines. He took the orthodoxy of the church, what was being taught by the early church, which was being held by the other church, what the scriptures taught. And he just started his own little random thing over here. And, and this is what he was teaching. Gnosticism, Gnostic ideas. So I want you to see some of this. What were the Nicolaitans? Who were they? These various groups emphasize personal spiritual knowledge. Uh, they emphasize personal spiritual knowledge above the orthodox teachings, traditions, and authority of the religious institutions. What does that mean? That they, they began to teach that they had these little personal spiritual encounters, and they didn't care what the word said. You know, the Bible could be very clear about something, but they would say something like, oh, yeah, I was praying the other day. I was meditating the other day, and the Lord told me this, 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 and this. And it's totally against what the Scripture teaches, but, but they said that's okay. They would hold to things like that. They emphasize personal spiritual knowledge above the orthodox teaching. What are the orthodox teachings? The orthodox teaching of the church is the Bible. Say the Bible. So your personal little encounter with God is held above the teachings of the scripture. What did Jesus say about that? Well, God bless them anyways. I hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans. What else did they teach? They had other spiritual deities other than just God, Jesus, the Father, Jesus, the Holy Ghost. They had other deities like what was known as the wife of God. Listen to this. They did believe in Jesus. They did believe in Jesus. They did believe in Jesus. What does that mean? Just because, guys, we got to get out of this mindset. That as long as you, like people say, as long as we're worshiping the same God, we're all on the same team, right? Doesn't matter what denomination you are, doesn't matter what doctrine, doesn't matter if you go to the Baptist, the, the Baptist, the Baptist, the Methodist, Presbyterian, it doesn't matter, right? And I'm not hating on any of those groups specifically, but they believed in Jesus, but not in repentance. They believed that salvation was just being enlightened and one didn't have to actually repent of sin, just simply come into spiritual knowledge. So basically, they taught this idea. You don't have to repent of anything. You don't have to turn from anything. All you have to do is kind of just come into this knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you come into this knowledge of Jesus Christ, you don't have to repent. That's good enough. You're saved. You're accepted. That was a Gnostic idea that Jesus condemned. He said, I hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans. Are you with me? So listen to this. This is very interesting here. The implications of Gnosticism for gender issues is evident in the view of the body. Did you know gender issues? That's not no new devil. The church has been playing, fighting against that devil for a couple thousand years. The, the, the Nicolaitans believe that if the body is merely an evil cage keeping the soul on earth, then gender of this body is rather unimportant. They didn't believe that gender was important. 
They believed in what was known as feminist spirituality. Again, they, they believed that God had a wife. They created this whole other deity called the wife of God. And in order to push the spiritual, uh, feminist spirituality, these are theologians that they cited, that in order to develop feminist spirituality, we need to deconstruct tradi- traditional hierarchical binaries, such as sacred from profane, good for bad, male, female. What does that mean? In order for them to teach this, they taught that we got to do away with good and bad. We got to do away with male and female. We got to do away with sacred from profane, that we can't label anything. Let's just create unity in all things. So there is no good and bad. There is no male and female. There is no holy and, and sinful. None of that exists. What does that sound like today? Are you with me? They said this creates a unity that celebrates the differentiation of its parts. And Sophia, that was the wife of God, they insist embodies this unity. So again, Jesus said, you have this for you. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Say hate. So this is what really hit me. When I read this, these Nicolaitans, these, this perverted Christian group, that there is a place where you can actually step into the hatred of God. Are y'all with me tonight? I know that this, I don't want this to be bland or boring. I hope that this is, you're getting this here because this is crazy to me. And I know that it's controversial, that there are actually things that the Lord hates and that there's things that people can do that God, you know, you got to understand this, God loves people. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. I just totally murdered that, didn't I? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There we go. Amen. God loves people. The Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God, it says that God wills that none should perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth. But, so that's true. But yet there is a category of things that the Bible explicitly, 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 what's the word here? Explicitly says that God hates. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, it says there are six things the Lord hates. Say hates. No, seven things that he detests. Haughty eyes. That, that word haughty eyes, it means a proud look. It means pride. Say pride. Guys, I don't think we understand this. God hates pride. God hates pride. Say that. Say God hates pride. What is pride? I don't need God. We've even built up church services where we don't need God anymore. We don't need you. We don't need the Holy Ghost. We don't need the Word. We got this. God hates pride. Lying tongue. Say a lying tongue. What if this isn't like, this isn't what's being taught to people. Instead, we're just pushing songs. And, you know, I know you've heard me say this, but 
There's no mountain you can't run up or climb up or valley you can't run. He won't just come chasing after you. You ever heard that? You know, and it's just like he leaves the 99, he pursues after one. That's, that's absolutely true. God will leave the 99, he will pursue after one. But we paint this picture that there's just no, no, nothing that you can do, no matter what, where God will just keep chasing and chasing. And People don't understand. There's a category of things that God actually hates. Pride, a lying tongue. What if we told people, you can't be a liar? Christians, you can't be a liar. You can't be a liar. You can't be a Christian. You can't go around lying about things. You can't go lying to your spouse. You can't go lying to your children. You can't go lying to your neighbor. You cannot be a liar. God hates a lying tongue. And if you live in a condition in which God hates and then you stand before God, that's not a good place. Are you with me? God hates hands that kill the innocent. Say abortion. That's one form. God hates abortion. Say it. God hates abortion. God hates hands that kill the innocent. I don't think people understand the wickedness of it. Did he say that he hates the action of killing the innocent? He hates the hands of killing the innocent. Isn't that crazy to think that there are people on planet earth that we just tell God just loves you no matter what. But in reality, because of what they've given themselves over to, that God's not actually saying, I love this person. He's saying, I hate this person. This person is detestable. This person is vile. This person is evil. This person is given over to Satan. That's a whole nother realm that I don't think that anybody wants to talk about. It's the elephant in the room, but that's what's running rampant through the United States of America right now. That's why it's crazy that churches won't take a stand whenever Roe v. Wade was overturned. How can you not celebrate? God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. And now we've just made it a step closer from totally demolishing the shedding of innocent blood, legalized shedding of innocent blood in the United States of America. God's not angry about that. God is happy about that. And in Romans 12, 9, it says this, hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Say, love what is good. Hate what is evil. So God hates haughty eyes. God hates a lying tongue. God hates hands that kill the innocent. God hates a heart that plots evil. God hates feet that race to do wrong. God hates a false witness who pours out lies. God hates a person who sows discord among brethren. I know the NLT says a person who sows discord in a family. When you read that in the King James, New King James, discord amongst brethren. The New Testament warns about those, those that cause divisions. The Bible even says that those that cause divisions give them a first and second warning and then have nothing else to do with them. Why is that? Isn't that being harsh, John? Isn't that being unloving? No, that's something that God actually hates. Are you with me? We can't tolerate that. Jesus said, don't fear man who can kill your body. Fear the Lord who can destroy your soul and body in hell. Say, fear the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and understanding. 
This is why we're talking about these things, why Jesus said, I hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans. You have this for you. You hate them too. You don't tolerate them. There's things that God hates. This is where the fear of the Lord comes in. You know, it it shouldn't just be a loose thing. If you're a lying Christian, if you're a person that calls yourself a Christian, but you run around lying all the time, you need to have a holy conviction. There needs to be this reality where you fear God. You come to this moment, it's not okay for me to continue to do these things. Are you with me? There's got to be, if you're a Christian that's bound in pornography, if you're a, a Christian that's bound in addiction, if you're a Christian that's giving yourself to any of those things, there has to be a fear of the Lord. Am I crossing any boundaries in my life where I'm stepping into a category of people that God actually hates? Things that God actually hates. Are you with me? Let's talk about this, verse 7. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to, what the, to, to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Does he say to everyone who believes I'll give fruit? I'll give life. To everyone in the world, I'll give life. To everyone who claims to be a Christian, no. He said to everyone who who is victorious. Say victorious. Victorious Victorious through what? From what we just read. Everyone that works hard. Everyone that doesn't tolerate evil. Everyone that continues in their love for God and their love for others. Everyone that continues in their first love in the work that they did in the beginning. Everyone that refuses to to quit and continues to endure and persevere. Everyone that pushes through the lies and the false doctrine and holds tightly to what is true. To the one who endures, I will give, he said, fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Now look at the church in Smyrna. We've got a little bit more and we're going to be done tonight. I'll try to get you out of here by 8 o'clock. 18 more minutes. Y'all good? Verse 8. So that was just the first letter. There's seven. There's six other letters. Are you with me? Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last who was dead but is now alive. I know your suffering and your poverty. Say suffering. Say poverty. Guys, I'm telling you, I was digging into some history about this church. This church was so persecuted. That, that, that example that I gave you of a person being drug out and burnt alive at the stake, that was the elder of the church of Smyrna. The elder of the church of Smyrna was drug out. This church was, is what's known as the persecuted church. They were being killed. He says, I know about your suffering. Y'all, and and again, whenever he's talking about suffering, he wasn't talking about mean Facebook comments. Jesus doesn't look at that. Someone, he said something mean about me on Facebook, and the Lord said, I know about your suffering, my son. I'm telling you, literally, fingernails getting ripped out of their bodies. Beaten like Jesus was beaten, crucified, martyred, killed. Which is also so important, I'll tell you this. 
Am I trying to horrify you? No, I actually believe. Here's the thing about the Bible. This is how you know it's a historical, accurate document because it tells the truth about things. Even the flaws. You know, people are like, well, the Bible was just written by man. There's so many things in that Bible that if man just wrote that out of the flesh, he would have never put it in there. Are y'all, are y'all with me? In fact, I mean, just, just several things. Like when David sinned, the great king, guess what? It told us when David sinned. When Abraham made mistakes, it told us when Abraham made mistakes. When Paul rebuked Peter, the great apostle in the New Testament, guess what? It told us that Peter was beginning to segregate the Gentiles and the Jews and and kind of be racist towards the Gentiles. It told us about those things. It told us about the human flaw. And, And this is what's so important. I don't believe that Christians have to die. Amen. You may totally disagree with me, but I, I believe frontwards and backwards it's taught through the scripture that we will endure persecution, but God can preserve us through persecution, preserve our lives. He did it. When they were in prison several times, he let Peter out of prison. He broke the shackles off of Paul. He let Paul out of prison. Are you with me? That when, Sh- when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. What happened? They were delivered from the fiery furnace. Daniel was delivered from the lion's den. There's so many examples of people being delivered physically, literally, from death. In fact, when Jesus was on the earth, he, he prayed to the Lord at one point and said, Father, thank you. I have kept all of these. Not one of them have been harmed. And then he said, I pray I'll paraphrase here, that you would keep them like I've kept them. You'll preserve them like I've preserved them. What was he saying? The same way that for those three years, they went from city to city. They went through foreign roads, back roads, country roads. They were delivered from robbers. They were delivered from thieves. They were delivered from the wolves that set out to steal, kill, and destroy them. And for three years, they walked in the supernatural protection of the word of God, the word Jesus had spoken over them. They were never killed. We don't have to. He will order his angels. Jesus, when he was being taken into captivity, actually when he's hanging on the cross, he said, I could order a a legion of a thousand angels right now and the Father would send them to deliver me from this. But guess what? He didn't. You know why he didn't? Because he had to die. You know the difference between you and me is he died so that I could live. He died so that I don't have to die. He was beaten so that I could be whole. He was made poor so that we could become rich, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Are you with me? See, he, he denied that luxury. He denied that right of calling on the angels of the Lord for supernatural protection. He denied that right that, that we see exercised in Peter's life and in Paul's life, which I know those men went on to be martyred. And Apostle Paul, I'm going to tell you this, he died because he wanted to die. That man was raised, I mean, have you ever listened to Paul's hardships? He was stranded in the ocean on multiple occasions, floating on driftwood for days at a time. He said that happened to him. He was delivered. Bitten by a poisonous viper uh, on the island of Malta, delivered. Put in prison. Angel of the Lord came, woke him up, walked him right through the gates, delivered. 
stoned to death and dragged out of the cities. The believers prayed for him. He got right back up and went right back into the city in which he just got stoned to death. God delivered him from death again and again and again and again and again and again. And even before he went to Jerusalem, he was prophesied to three times. Paul, turn back now because there's chains awaiting you in Jerusalem. And what did he say? He told Timothy, I've ran my race. I've I've, I've kept the faith. I've poured out my life like an offering to the Lord. What did he say? It's better for me. I wish that I could already go, but for your sakes, I'm here. I think Paul got to the point where he knew he did what the Lord told him to do, and he said, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go. I don't want to spend one more minute here, Lord. I am ready to go. See, he gave himself over to martyrdom. I believe that. That's just a little nugget for you here. Because this church, and again, here's, here's my point. That's why it's important that faith is preached into people. So Christians don't just have to take whatever portion's handed to them. The same God that delivered Peter, the same God that delivered Paul, is the same God that will deliver me, he'll deliver you, and with long life, he'll satisfy me. Amen. But this church, so anyways, my point in saying that is when you read these things, you say, well, if we can be delivered, then how come they were killed and persecuted? Well, just because it, that's the thing. The Bible tells you the truth. It didn't mean it was God's perfect will for them. Are you with me? He says, I know about your suffering. I know about your poverty. But you are rich. So this suffering, this poverty was due to persecution. They had been literally, like I said, their lives taken, people killed, the church being persecuted. In fact, they were economically persecuted in this town. They shut off where no one was allowed to sell to Christians. Couldn't sell food, couldn't sell products to the Christians. That's what he's talking about, their poverty. It's not that they didn't have the blessing of the Lord on their life. Like they couldn't go to the market and buy anything. If you're a Christian, we're not allowed to sell to you. He said this, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Again, there are people that make themselves enemies of the gospel by what they do, by their actions. Are you with me? Just because they called themselves Jews. What were Jews? Those were people of God. Just because they called themselves people of God did not make them people of God. Everybody that claims to be a church, everybody that claims to be a, a, a part of a faith, there are people by their actions. Just like Jesus said, they claim to be Jews, but their synagogue actually belongs to Satan. Satan's the run, Satan is the one running that show over there. Are you with me? And it, Well, I'm not a good Christian if I... If I acknowledge it, no, you are a good Christian. Jesus expects it of us. He said, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw you. Who will? The devil. Say the devil. I will throw you into prison. No, the devil will throw you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you will remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Say if. If you remain faithful, if you refuse to quit, if you keep the faith, even to the point of facing death, then I'll give you the crown of life. Are you with me? 
Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to those churches. Whoever is victorious, say victorious, will not be harmed by the second death. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Here's a question here. So very clearly, we just read it to the church of Ephesus. We just read it to the church of Smyrna. What does God expect from us when we face persecution? Say, stay faithful. What does Jesus expect from the church? Stay faithful. Say, stay faithful. What does Jesus expect from the church when you have a government that's even trying to shut you down and say, you can't continue what you're doing. You can't meet. You can't pray. You can't sing. If you decide to, re- to go against what we're saying, we'll throw you in prison. What does Jesus expect from Christians even when threatened with prison? Stay safe, faithful. What does Jesus expect from Christians even when death is threatened to us? Say, stay faithful. Hallelujah. Stay faithful. And in fact, here's something that rocks me. Only those who are faithful, he said, he will give the crown of life. Look at Matthew 24, 1 through 14. You need to get this too. Persecution is promised in the last days. Now we can be delivered, but we'll never live in a reality where it doesn't happen, where it doesn't occur. Persecution is promised in these last days. Jesus said, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name. This is Matthew 24, 4, claiming I'm the Messiah. They'll deceive many. You'll hear of wars and threats of war. Say wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Say war. There'll be famine. Say famine. What is famine? Famine is economical downfall. Famine for them is the, it's, it will stop raining. Crops will dry up. Economies will dry up. Are you with me? There will be famines in the last days. There will be famines in the last days. Earthquakes in many parts of the world. But this is only the first of birth pains with more to come. You will be arrested, say arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But look at this. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. What does that mean? The person that endures through the war, the person that endures through the famine, the person that keeps believing, keeps the faith through the earthquake, the person that keeps the faith and and remains faithful when they're arrested, when they're persecuted, even when they're threatened with death and they're killed, the person that refuses to quit, that person on the last day will be saved. There is no promise for the person that compromises to be saved. There was no promise for the person that compromises to eat of the tree of life. Are y'all with me?
And again, I just think this is such an important message, something that we saw over the last couple of years. I mean, in America, around the world. It wasn't just America. It's around the world. It happened in Africa. It happened in Europe. It happened in Australia. The church shut down. The church caved. The church didn't remain faithful. Threatened with prison. What would we do? You know, that happened in churches in in Canada where the government showed up and said, not only the pastor, anybody that's at this church when we come on Sunday will be fined $1,000. Do you know that? How many Christians do you think in America would show up the next week if the police came and said that? Fine, you want to show up? Well, I know some of us would, but you want to show up? You show up next week, you'll be fined $1,000. You show up the week after that, you'll be fined another 1000 You know what Christians would say? I can't afford that. And you know what they do? They stay home. They would compromise. They would quit. And there's not a resolve in us where we, we have to get to the point, Lord, I'll give anything. I'll give everything. Are you with me? What if it costs me? What if I, what if I have to foreclose on my house? What if, what if I stand for God and it costs me absolutely everything? Then it costs me absolutely everything. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be honest with you. There's times that I read this stuff, and I have to prepare my heart. Where I say, Lord, it's easy to say, hoorah, hoorah, yes, we'll do this, yes, we'll stand. But I want to know, Father, what, will I re- if the, would I really stand in that moment? Is my, heart, is my heart ready? Is my heart, there's a place you have to keep your heart. I don't think Christians are even asking themselves these questions. I told y'all that word before. If you go to a church that compromised during that time, you need to leave. You need to leave. We can't compromise. We can't quit. And there's no repentance. There's no going back to, there's no accountability that's happening right now. Where's the accountability for all the pastors that shut down and said, this is clearly what the Bible teaches here. This is clearly the expectation of Jesus Christ. You think that what we're going through is unseen of and unheard of when this is all that the church has ever dwelled and ever lived in throughout the centuries. The church has thrived in persecution. The church was birthed in persecution. The church, you think that we're being threatened with our jobs? You know how many times I heard stuff like that? Well, I had to take the vaccine. My job threatened to fire me if I didn't take it. Lose your freaking job then. Are you kidding me? Stand for the word of God. Stand for, love what is good. Hate what is evil. Recognize the hand and the agenda of the Antichrist and oppose it, even if it costs you your job. Even if it costs you everything. That's what, it's not just something that's good that if you do, it's what Jesus expects of me and you as a last day Christian. And I don't understand where the account, there's no accountability. I don't understand that. I don't understand these Christians that can keep showing up to a place like that. You know, the Bible talks about a shepherd 
that a, a hired hand runs when he sees the wolves coming. Because they're not his flock. It says that they're just, they're, literally Jesus said, a hired hand runs when the wolves attack because the sheep did not belong to him. He's just simply working for the money. Are y'all with me here? My goodness gracious. And I'll just be direct. The Lord told me that to get the word to the Christians that if your church shut down and caved, you need to leave that place because that's actually a part of God's mercy for them. Because a lot of places at this point, if Jesus were to say, examine them, you did not remain faithful, you did not persevere, you did not keep the faith, you, you compromised, you copped out, you gave in to tyrannical demands, you gave into the Antichrist agenda, they're not ready to stand before the Lord. And that would be God in his mercy. Can you imagine a huge mega church that thinks we don't need God? We don't need this word. We, don't, we, know, we know the word says these things, but we're just going to overlook it. We're going to ignore it because we don't want to address it. Because if we address it, then guess what that means, everyone? That means something's got to start changing. If we're going to deal with this word, if we're actually going to look at it, that means some people are going to have to be held accountable. Some questions are going to have to be asked if we actually start looking at this word. What's going on here? I mean, nowadays, y'all, pastors can cheat on their wives, and all they got to do is step out of the pulpit for a few weeks and then be reinstated. Come on, that's a problem. It's God and his mercy for every single person to leave that place because maybe then somebody will humble themselves and get on their face and begin to ask the Lord, at what point did I make myself God over you? At what point did I elevate my board? And at what point did I elevate my bylaws? At what point did I elevate the district and the presbyter over the word, Lord? over what you've clearly told us to do. At what point did I go wrong? And then the Lord, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he'll lift you up. But you, it's, you know, it's crazy to me. You can't get Christians to get this in their spirit. You can't get Christians to, to see this. I want you to say faithful. Stop tolerating compromise. You want to talk about now, I know I'm talking about organizations and churches and what's being preached in the pulpit today. But Jesus is talking about faithfulness to the point of death, faithfulness to the point of you're being arrested, you're being persecuted, you're being killed. To only those that push through all of that and refuse to compromise, will I give life? Will I grant access into my kingdom? Will you eat from the tree of life? That's a picture of heaven. Do you all understand that? The, 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 the tree of life that, that Adam had in the garden that gave him eternal life or he would never die again. When man sinned, the Lord took that tree off because man couldn't live in their sinful state and be an eternal being uh, that, that never dies. So when it's talking about fruit from the tree of life, it's literally, it's a, it's a picture of heaven that you'll eat from this fruit and you'll, you'll be this eternal being that never dies never grows old. Are you understanding that? And so only those that are faithful eat from that tree. 
So you talk about the persecution, arrested, killed, famines. But you can't even get Christians to be faithful to show up to church. You think that if a Christian can't show up to church, that they're going to stand when their job's on the line, when their life's on the line, when their money's on the line? There's no way. Jesus, help us. <laughs> I can't show up right now. It's inconvenient for me. It's crazy. Hallelujah. I don't know. I pray, if anything, I pray that this gets you to reading. We'll go over these next few churches over the next few weeks. I pray that this gets you to reading. And, and I'm not trying to frighten you into loving God. I'm not trying to fight, frighten you into following the Lord. All I'm asking is every person, listen to me, don't be an idiot. Seriously, don't be an idiot. Don't be a fool. Do not be a fool that sits here and thinks, well, Maybe you think, well, that was great. Maybe you think, oh, well, that sucked. Don't know what that was. And you leave this place and you don't give this a second thought. Are you, are you right by these standards? Are, are we meeting Jesus' expectation for the church? Are you all with me? Let me pray for you tonight. Father, I pray that you help us, Lord. Help me right now. Get this in the people. Thank you, Jesus, for a church that's on fire. Thank you, Lord, for a church that is strong. Thank you for a church that is not compromised. Thank you, Lord, for revival. Lord, and we're believing for it because that's what it's going to take in this nation to wake people up, that will blow the trumpet, that will call out these lies, that everything's good, everything's fine, everything's dandy in America. No, Lord, we'll, we'll blow the trumpet and wake people up. Lord, we're believing for a revival, even in Angelina County, that would break the religious devil off of this county, the lethargy out of this county. Lord, we're asking for special grace and special favor for that that would break the back of that devil that's sending Thousands of Baptists to hell. Thousands of Pentecostals to hell. Thousands of Methodists to hell. That is sending a complacent church straight to hell that does not recognize their need for you. And that has replaced you with man's traditions and man's regulations and man's systems and man's methods. No, Lord, we need you now more than ever before. Father, we need you in this hour. We need you in this generation. We need your power. We need your truth. We need your word. And I thank you, Father, for bringing a wave, bringing a move, bringing an awakening of your spirit to the people here. Wake them up. Wake up in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, there's people, their entire families are going to hell. There's people that their kids are going to hell. And they don't even, they're not, they're asleep. They're lulled to sleep. And their kids are going straight to hell. And they're going straight to hell. But they don't even see a need for you. Because they've prayed that prayer. They think that they're right. They think that they're straight. 
but they've created idols in their lives. Lord, we pray, wake up. Wake up. People's families are going to hell, not ready to stand before you, not ready to meet you. Wake them up. Help us, Lord. Wake them up. Warn them in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, there's entire churches, there's pastors in here in this town, in this county that are going to hell. Wake them up, Lord. Wake them up. Wake them up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Confound the wise, Lord. Humble the proud. Exalt the humble. Praise you, Jesus. Come on, y'all. Take just a few minutes with me and just help me pray. I just feel to pray right now. Rambara be shitara mambara kashatara re day. Rambara mabare bibi shitinga romba maniki shikarabara barabaroshin tekarabara pere. Rambara bibi shitikarabara re today katara baroshata. Lord, let us get out of our lethargy. We have more than we've ever had before. And it's lulled us to sleep to the point of where we don't even see that we need you. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, in this hour. We need you, Lord. Raise up a strong church here in Angelina County. Build a church, Lord, here in Angelina County. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Use us. Let us be your hands and feet. Lord, we yield to that call tonight in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Will y'all just take a second, and I want you to just praise the Lord with me right here. Can y'all do that? Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for coming tonight. I love you. God bless you. We'll see you. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.